Yes. You do, you do know a man by the name of Willie Green. Oh, yes. That doesn't sound like... Ah, Dolomite. A hero to us all. Yeah, we all watched it as white youths, didn't we, boys? Mm-hmm. And we, we loved these movies because we didn't understand them. The lines were awkward to us and the acting was horrible. But the music, though, so good. So good. I love the black exploitation film genre. But gentlemen, I'm not alone. Fresh off the tail end of the civil rights movement, the onset of this film genre was targeted as an at an urban, air quotes, urban audience, but quickly found a public well beyond. The films were intended to be movies that starred black people, marketed solely to the black audience, but they instantly became a major part of the zeitgeist, and they still influence filmmakers today. There's many qualifiers as to why these movies were so momentous, and the soundtracks were one of the most crucial. The leads were always strong, but the plots were frequently not. Really? And, yeah. Are you sure? And they needed some explaining. So today, we're going to take a look at these lead characters and the songs that set them up. This is Plot Rock, the black exploitation, black explanation. Beyond Yacht Rock. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. You understand what I'm saying? Um, a, you're saying so. that it's you're a, saying that it's the the podcast that's beyond yacht rock. Yeah, what do we do? What do we do on this podcast, Hollywood Steve? We make up musical genres and we count down the top ten songs in the musical genres that we make up. Hey, Dave, why do people know us? Uh, well, they know Lions. us because uh, we made uh, some internet shows called Yacht Rock twelve years ago. Yeah, twelve eps, twelve years. Oh, we coined it, we coined the term yacht rock, which is it's, it's thriving today. Everybody's got that word on the tip of its tongue, tip of their tongues. So we like to throw a bone to you yacht rock fans out there every episode. Hunter Stare, yeah, I'm to, here. You picked today's song. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Boys, summer's yeah. over. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so sad when that happens. Yeah. So to commemorate our lost hands. I picked yes, wit- that's what happened to my tan. I lost it. <laughs> I picked wintry white Canadian songsmith uh, David Roberts. and his, Memorable name. His uh, kind of, sort of hit, Boys of Autumn, which peaked at 30 in the land of all these winter over, up there in Canada. Uh, this is this is clearly on the. So we're going with Crossfire. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, this is Crossfire. This is but this we, is I mean, just as Christopher Cross as anything. Christopher so we're not Cross doing Crossline. Well, we can continue with going back and forth, Crossline, Crossfire, until it's like something emerges. Is Crossfire ironic? Because I never associated with with Christopher Cross having a lot of fire. No, but he keeps the fire ah. with his yacht. With his yacht music, there's a warmth to it. It's like a Canadian uh, but fire. I, I guess. would imagine he did a lot of lines. All right. So this is, has that. Uh, this is on the cr- on the crossfire with that gentle, breezy, high range tone and the oh so hard to do ro- rolling acoustic wave smooth on this. Yeah, I mean and some chimes I just heard. Yeah, it was a sweet chimes. We've really been laying out the crossfire lately, um, and it makes sense. There were so many of these songs. What a Fool Believe made a splash in 78, and then everything has a doobie bounce. And then Christopher Cross hits in 81, and booyah, the crossfire is burning up the record stores, baby. This song's from 82. <laughs> Listen to it burn. Yeah, this is, this is definitely the crossfire line. 
<laughs> cross firing line? Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. The firing line? The cross firing line. No, you need cross in there somewhere. I mean, there's so many things we're mixing in, but anyway. Okay, so David Roberts was described as a session vocalist, and I believe it, uh, but here in the lower 48, we have him only listed with six credits as a singer, including uh, with the most Canadian band name I've ever heard, Rational Youth. <laughs> Yeah. Really nice guys, though, that band. Dave, hey, Dave Roberts and National Youth are playing over in Toronto. You want to go oh, check it out, eh? Sounds like it's going to be real nice. Uh, but, but he's credited as, as a songwriter on that wonderful Nielsen Pearson album, Blind Luck. I only say this because I'm at a loss for how he got such a bonanza personnel on this album. Jerry Hay, The Champ, Michael and Jeffrey Percaro, The Poop and Graydon, Lukather, Polina DaCosta, Michael Boddicker, and fellow Canuck David Foster. I'll tell you how he got that, because this, this uh, the communist Canadian government was able to milk tax dollars out of the, its blue-collar people to provide the state this state artist with a large budget to hire the best American studio musicians. Well, it fucking worked, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, this is this is more Christopher Cross than a lot of things Christopher Cross did. And, yeah. and you know what I found out that that those that Canadian dollars, those loonies and toonies, got, mm-hmm. got them. They bumped Toto out of the studio during the day so they could record this. Wow. And then at night they recorded Toto Four. Man, wow, which was a masterpiece. Um, so the story goes. Uh, Roberts took a journey to L.A. to find a smooth, like-minded producer to make this album, and he found that in session pianist Greg Matheson, who, uh, who's definitely a name we should keep an eye on. He's a purple link on my Discogs. Ah, mm. uh, he, uh, he, he, made, he actually made an album with Abe Laboreal. That's another which, one that's, which that just keeps coming up. Big this year. Big this year, that Abe. That guy's got a big laborial. Yeah, so uh, Greg's definitely quite the prospect. <laughs> um, and he was also a big part in Al Jarreau's transition to the boat. Um, he was the other half of this album, and most, and I'm going to guess he's most likely the reason that all those names are on this. Um, and it's, I think this is a great little yacht rock. Well, this album has a name, and that name is All Dressed Up. It's from, <laughs> it's from 82. Uh, they didn't have the, the the balls to finish the cliche. It's called All Dressed Up Ellipsis. <laughs> no, with nowhere to go right. for you, those of you playing right. along at home. Uh, and I didn't look super close, but the only guys both on this and Christopher Cross's 81 debut were Jay Graydon and David Foster. So they're the ones going back and forth between these two albums, bringing the sound with them. I would I would like I to see. think that Foster had a... Yeah, well, the Canadian connection. Well, yeah, but I mean, with Christopher Cross, because he, he has a penchant for schmaltz. And there's definitely a bit of schmaltz in, on the crossfire, so... Yeah, I get that. Let's Yatsky this. Oh. I'm gonna, uh, I hate doing this. Well, just for the record, man, I'm, I'm a completist. I want to get these, these things on the chart. I give it a 90. I think it's essential. Yeah. You think this is essential? I think it's essential because Carrie Charter is essential. I yeah. Well, we need to. We'll talk okay, about. It. We okay. need to talk about that. Um, am I? Let me go last since I picked this. All right. Okay. Um, it sounds Wind essential science. to me, and mm-hmm. it's got the personnel. I just can't put it. I can't put it as essential because it's Canadian. <laughs> and as you know, I'm racist against Canadians. Yes. You did record that here. You did. Oh. You recorded it here. It wasn't recorded in Canada. Okay. He came to L.A. Like I said, he came right. to L.A. He, he, this yeah. is recorded Much the like exact we came to L.A. from southern Canada, i.e. Michigan. Yeah. This is recorded exact same time, so exact this is, same this place. This is our story. 
Okay, I'll go 89. Steve? <sighs> Listen to this. <laughs> the session musicians. I'm debating whether to give it 89 or 90. Because I was thinking right in that neighborhood, but is it essential? Go 89.5. That's a great idea. 89.5. Uh, <clears throat> hey... Have we ha, has a Christopher Cross song? Stretch it out. I know. Yes. Has a Christopher yes. Cross song made essential? Yes, it has. Yes. And what was that number? I don't know. It was. Know it wasn't that me. super high. It was high. It was sailing. Sailing's essential. Well, sailing. Okay. I'm gonna go with 83. Okay. Okay. Well, that's not essential then. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the black exploitation, black explanations. Let's get into it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Black Belt Jones. When I was 16, my best friend and I went into a video store and he showed me this incredible VHS cover featuring a sweet looking dude with an afro and a penchant for karate. It was in a clam case, right? It was. A, a penchant. A penchant. For karate. Nice. Classy. We brought up the idea of running it, but that wasn't going to be enough. I went to the counter box in hand and I asked the clerk to look up the last time the movie had been rented. I don't remember how long it had been, but it was long enough that he sold it to me for $5.99. We took it home, watched it in my basement, and witnessed a film that will stay with me forever. You got ripped off. It had everything. Sex, violence, karate, Isaac from the Love Boat, and more. More throwable lines than The Big Lebowski. Black Belt Jones is going to help us with the bumpers today, along with uh, Petey Wheatstraw, uh, Petey Wheatstraw and Dolomite. And uh, you'll see exactly what I mean. While this theme song isn't plot rock... You can certainly hear Belt kicking the shit out of the assassins that made the mistake of coming after the African dignitaries that Black Belt Jones was there to protect. No, sir, plot rock needs lyrics, even if they're few and far between. Jim, Jim Cully has the best karate noises. Yeah. And you want a, you want a real treat? Watch it. Watch it with closed captioning, like that. This part it just reads. It sounds like he's taking a very painful dump. Whenever he does a kick, well, he is pushing shit off the streets. Uh, and I just want to say, so much has been lost with the oh, listen with, to that with the demise of independent video stores. Mm -hmm. You can't go in there and discover new stuff anymore. With a soundtrack by Lucci, De Jesus, and Dennis Coffee. Yes. Now this. This is what I'm talking about. This is famous. Yeah. Even though the lyrics don't kick in until like the two and a half minute mark, everyone that isn't in a fucking articulate troglodyte knows them. And they really answer the question, who is this Shaft guy? And what's he all about? That's what we're looking for here. Super overly explanatory descriptions of the uh, leads in these movies. Uh, JD, I, I can't hear one of the channels on that. I can't hear the guitar. Is that... I can. can okay. It's just my headphones. Sorry. Um, Terrible ad-lib, Steve. Yeah. Well, I think that was pretty good. He's been working on it. He's been taking a new improv class. Uh, it's it's, it's in, Improv of Life is what it's called, right? It's called and, Are There Technical Difficulties <laughs> and you know or what? Not? You know what? I just I realized that is on me because what I did was the worst improv was saying no to yours. So I apologize. Um, but which is also the, which is, the information oh that there God. are no Which is the best improv is, mm. is apologizing and making up um, on stage. <laughs> Now I know. Now listen, like I feel like we got some really good plot rock in here. Like mm -hmm. there's some really good songs that do describe the plot quite a bit. So it's not just describing the main character. We have some legit 
plot rock stuff. It's it's focused on the main character, though, because typically there's pretty much like four different types of of, uh, black exploitation movies. It's like a pimp. Or it's uh, it's a drug dealer, <laughs> drug dealer. Sometimes they a human, know they sometimes know a human trafficker. They know karate. That's a pimp one. Okay, here's here's the breakdown. You've got black against white. The black people are the good guys. Yes. Whether yeah. whether they're criminals or whether they're operatives working for the CIA, whether they're just released from prison, they're the good guys. So sometimes they're trying to break out of the ghetto. Sometimes they're trying to run the ghetto. Sometimes they're trying to clean up the ghetto. But really, they're uh, they're very similar. So, yeah. But what really separates them are the color to, colorful characters that make the lead characters. Mm-hmm. So that's what these songs really have to bring mm-hmm. out. Also, character and plot to help define each other anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially with motivation. When you, you can't, you can't separate one from the other if you really get right down yeah, to you it. Can't. In the craft of writing. Yes. I can. One time I wrote a movie that was just a guy uh, eating cookies. Yeah. But then, oh, but then he got sick and threw up. That was a, it was a story. It was a plot. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're right, Steve. You're right. Think of how good that song would have been. I know. Let me, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the birth of black exploitation. He's a guy who eats a lot of cookies until he gets sick. What's his name? Cookie, Cookie Man. man. Yeah. Cookie Man. Remember Cookie Man? Good movie. Yeah. No, Cookie Man was a guitar player we saw one night. Oh, yeah. Hey, this, is so, this is such an inside yeah, story. Yeah, it is such an inside story. All right. We saw Mike what? Rudolph's Prince Band and the guy who opened for him was named Cookie Man. He was yeah. also in their band. Yeah. Cookie Man. Okay. Uh, his credits were a list of people he played in front of. Uh, what's widely considered to be the birth of black exploitation genre is Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. It was an independently produced film from 1971, written, produced, and directed, and starred in by Melvin Van Peebles. He also wrote the music, but he didn't really know how to play an instrument, so they got the then-unknown band Earth, Wind, and Fire to transcribe his crazy series of numbers into music. When he didn't have enough money to promote the film, he released the soundtrack first to stir up buzz, and it worked. And it was full of the cutting-edge funk music of the time, full of wah-wah pedals and bongos. Sweet Sweetback was a deliberately sincere movie that launched the genre. While the derivative films rarely held such a serious tone, the funk soul soundtrack held as gospel, and it very much set the scene for what would become the black exploitation music genre. Yes. I remember watching that movie in college, and I mostly just remember a lot of shots of Melvin Van Peebles running. Yes. Like, running along the train tracks, running around yeah. corners, running from the man. He's just on the run. A lot of running. He also cast his son, uh, Mario Van Peebles, who was 14 at the time, in a nude scene, losing his virginity to a buxom woman mm. in a very explicit... Uh, yeah, it's like the first scene. Yeah. It's a... Uh... All right, son. <laughs> Get in there. He he was kind of making it up as he was going along on that movie. No. Well, let me let me wrap this up here. Sure. Black exploitation movies exploded, and in addition to starring some a remarkable amount of retired football players, <laughs> they frequently had a knack for featuring a song that described the main character. Well, this isn't unique to black exploitation, i.e., Howard the Duck. It certainly <laughs> it certainly was a prevalent choice, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about the films as we go through them. I, I, I just want to say real quick, I think the appeal of this genre, uh, which you can, you, which like what the reason everybody likes theme from Shaft, everyone secretly wishes they had a personal theme song or entrance music of some sort that makes them sound this cool. Or which, wish, wish they were cool like Black Belt Jones. Which was definitely parodied in the movie I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want to count it down? Yeah. I would love to count them down. Mark that down to the 39 cents a bottle. The bastard shitted his bands before he died. Number 10. Oh, many films of this genre were simply taking a known film, a known white film, or just films as they were called, and remaking it with black actors. This is from the movie Blackula, which I can only assume was the first name they came up with. Steve, you want to you want to explain how they came up with the name Blackula? Blackula? I don't know. I'll tell you. Was, was is this some kind of like? It's, it might be a portmanteau. I know where I know where black comes from, but where does? Is there is Hunter explain this portmanteau thing to me? Well, it's a manto, and they put port on the front of it. <laughs> oh, and yeah. it creates a new word. So if I get a glass of port wine, yeah. dump it on my toe, I'm gonna. When you're hanging out. out in your manto, ah, that improv class is paying off. Well, the formula of uh, taking a white movie and putting black in it really worked. It was followed by Black Caesar, The Black Godfather, and my favorite, Blackenstein. And just so everybody's clear, Black Caesar is not about Rome. It's a gangster movie set in Harlem. Uh, But Dave, don't forget the movie uh, Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. I will never forget that film. Oh, and some black friend of mine just starting a podcast called uh, Black Yon Yacht Rock. (laughs) I'm just kidding, though. I don't have any black friends. I only have three friends, and you guys are all white. But, oh, Hunter, you are 1% black, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, if I, my math is correct, then, I have, then I, have, I have one three thousandth of a black friend. Right. I'm also 0.1% Cherokee. I don't care. That doesn't get you yeah. any cachet. Yeah, yeah quit, quit sniffing around for compliments, Steve. I don't want compliments. I want a scholarship. <laughs> uh, Steve, you're 41. With my, with my heritage. <laughs> it's never too late to go back to school, Dave. So, this band is the Hughes Corporation, uh, best known for their uh, Rock the Boat. Soul Trio from Santa Monica, back when black people lived in Santa Monica. Wait, what? Yeah, that that used to happen. Wow. Uh, They originally wanted to call themselves the children of Howard Hughes, but were told, no fucking way, by their music company. They settled on Hughes, spelled H-U-E-S, as it was a reference to their heritage, because they are of a black hue, I assume. Before they were signed, they caught their big break. You assume? (laughs) Well, no, I know they were black. Okay. But, you know, Hugh, people of color. Yeah. All right, good. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's, I feel weird talking about it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before they were signed, they caught their big break when they were asked to record a few songs for the soundtrack. And because of it, they were signed to RCA. Um, I, there's... Oh, you're starting... Was that the end? Yeah. There's some interesting cuts in the scene that... Uh, the Because they're in the movie. Did mm-hmm. you mention that? They're in the movie yeah. singing the song... At a club and Blackula yeah, Blackula walks in. Walks Wait, in. Blackula's there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like full on cape and, yeah. and fucking lamb chop sideburns. Yeah. Is he into it? Is he into the song? No, it's he's it's weird. He's like giving a lady his purse her purse back. But does he does he know that the band is warning everybody in the club about him? Uh, no. He's, he's they're kinda wrapping up. Okay. As he's walking in. So I don't, I don't think he sees them going <laughs> and goes, hey. Uh, but it's weird. It's a weird scene because it has some weird cuts. They have, they they're shooting Hughes Corporation yeah. sing the song, and then they cut to the exact same shot, but people dancing. And I think they thought that you would think that was another part of the of the club, 
but the back the backing band is still in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so so you know so you know it's and the same those, place. Those dancing shots, they're like a lot of crotch shots. Well, those are different ones. I mean, just the same framed. Sh- anyways, it's yeah. it's a, it's quite, it's quite the scene. Yeah. Sounds like what would happen if I directed a movie. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping track of those things. Yeah. What you what would happen if you directed a movie without any sense of continuity or a script supervisor to that's point me. out the continuity? That's me. Yeah. Or or just to zoom in a little bit, maybe move it to the left <laughs> just slightly. Uh. Uh, and, and oh. I, I, I also want to make mention that, uh, just so we're clear, I don't think mm-hmm. we mentioned this, um, Blackula is not Black Dracula. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dracula oh. actually bites and curses yeah. Blackula. Well, here's the thing. So Dracula's still kind of the father vampire. Yeah, they're two yeah, totally separate people. Here's the thing, and this might be cultural. Some people say vampires, some people say Draculas. Nobody says Draculas unless they're making a joke. <laughs> the Dracula bit this guy like 200 years ago, put him in a box, sealed him up. A couple of uh, people interested in antiquities bought the coffin, shipped it to L.A., opened it up. Blackula's on the streets of L.A. The script writes itself. Yeah. Or, more likely, nobody really wrote it at all and they made it up as they went along. They had a good title, though. They certainly started did. with that. Dave, I want to say I listen. I listened to all these songs before I read your research, mm-hmm. and although this song is good, I enjoy it much more knowing that it is about Blackula. Yeah. Uh, you ought to know by Alanis Morissette is another song I would enjoy much, much more if it was about Blackula. <laughs> except that's because that song is shitty. Two things. Everything's, oh my God. everything's better when it's about Blackula. Uh, true. And someday we're gonna dive into your hatred of Alanis Morissette, and I'm gonna love it. Fucking terrible. Oh my God. I can't wait to listen to You Ought to Know and just imagine it's about Blackula. Blackula. Did he go down on you in the theater? Yeah, Blackula was... Yeah, don't you see the vampire marks on my dick? Sorry, that's a wrong bumper. Now, which one of you is Pinky? Is it not? Bitch, you better back up before you get your ass whipped. I'll make you look like a sick faggot. Number nine. Isn't that a nice term to use? Yeah, that's Sydney from Black Belt Jones. That's when she uh, goes into A. Pincus's hip pocket to uh, find the guys that killed her dad, Papa Bird. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. Now we're getting into it. Uh, this Dave's is really good at facts when they're fictional facts. <laughs> <laughs> when they're about Black's, uh, Black Belt Jones, um, yeah. <laughs> it's actually something I researched. <laughs> uh... This is Coffee. Uh, excuse me, Coffee is the Color by Roy Ayers and Dee Dee Bridgewater. Of course, from the movie Coffee. It's about a female vigilante seeking revenge for the drug addiction of her sister. The song plays over the opening credits as really good black exploitation, black explanation does. She seduces a drug dealer in the back of his car. Spoiler alert, it does not end well for the drug dealer. Listen to these chord phrasings, man. Mm-hmm. Listen to this, listen. Jazzy is the phrasing of your chords. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's good. He's getting it. I'm getting it. The The film was kind of remarkable. It was directed by Jack Hill and starred Pam Greer. This came out just before Cleopatra Jones. There's a story about the producer losing the rights and then trying to beat it to the release with a smaller movie. Like, hey, I'm producing Cleopatra Jones. And then somebody screwed him out of it. He's like, fine, I'm going to make my own movie. It's going to be better. Not sure I buy it. Sounds like something I'd say. 
But what is fact is the film established Pam Greer as a really strong female lead of the genre. She uses her sexuality as a weapon, and it's something to see. She was the one putting asses in the seats, and that was not a common thing for women in 1974. Critics were split on this film, as uh, they are on this genre, arguing whether it's empowering or exploitative. Well, you can't deny the exploitative nature of Pam Greer movies, as I can't help but comment on her ample and exposed bosoms. Yes, she got the top three billings to this movie. <laughs> uh, I think I think by its nature, all of these movies are exploitative. That, is that what exploitation means? In black exploitation? I mean, yeah, they're they're. they're they're definitely exploiting a lot of stereotypes. Yeah, but the term was they were the original term was derived because they were exploiting the black audience to get into the theater. Yeah, but the exploitation movies like were. Dave Matthews Band could be considered white exploitation. <laughs> Not enough white people are going to concerts anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna start like, a let's, band. Let's make something that white people are really gonna dig. Yanni. And exploit the uh, stereotypes of white yeah. people in doing so. Yeah, let's give them some horns and maybe a tambourine. Um, Roy Ayers did the soundtrack to the movie. He's a vibraphone player. Steve talked about him before. Uh, this is the second time we've uh, had Roy Ayers on the podcast, and that's how I know we're doing a good job with it. He's widely credited as a pioneer of jazz funk. Um, Steve wrote something. He grew up in Los Angeles near one of the great Central Avenue... Uh, Near, sorry, near the once great Central Avenue. And Central Avenue is really something worth talking about. Um, it was kind of the uh, the hub of the, uh, the jazz scene in the uh, 50s and 60s. In fact, Winston Marcellus dubbed it the 52nd Street of Los Angeles. Hey, Wikipedia Dave. Hey, hey. what's up? Uh, Winston Marsalis? What? <laughs> Uh-oh. No, it's it's spelled right here, Winston. Yeah, it's Winston. It's a different guy than the one you've heard of. Oh, it's a different guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what city was 52nd Street actually in, and why is 52nd Street notable? Because I've never heard of 52nd Street. Okay, now I wrote this without looking it up, and uh -huh. then I, I posted something about it. Um, He's looking at the ceiling right now, folks. <laughs> in, uh, oh, no, I gotta look at my notes. Oh, <laughs> Um, well, it was the jazz capital of New York City after Prohibition ended. Because when Prohibition was going on, all the jazz clubs were up in Harlem. And I thought it was 133rd Street, and I looked it up, and I was right. And then after Prohibition ended, I want to say in 1933, they moved down to uh, 52nd Street, and then that just became the fucking hub of jazz. And anybody worth a shit was playing there. Um, but Central Avenue was a rich jazz culture, home to Charles Mingus, Art Pepper, and briefly Charlie Parker. But Ayers is one of those mus musicians you don't hear a lot about, except in uh, Steve's Cookout Jazz episode. <laughs> but he kind of inspired Thank you, Dave. everybody. His nickname in the hip-hop community is Icon Man. And according to an article I read from 2005, he was known for having more sampled hits by rappers than any other artist. Wow. Now, this wasn't good enough for me, so I, I researched this. Did you write that article? I did not. Oh. <laughs> but, you're like, that can't be right. But I know bullshit. I, deeper. I know bullshit when I see okay. it. Okay. So I Speaking checked of bullshit, I googled Winston Marcellus just now, and Google asked, did you mean Winton Marcellus? Steve, we were, we were bullshitting you. Um, hey, uh, check. Matt, okay. Rousseau, Matt Rousseau, can you turn down Steve's channel? Um, I checked this fact against the records. At I wanted to believe, J.D. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, getting back to what I was saying. Yeah, get through this jazz part. We need to talk about this plot rock. Yeah, we, um... 
I read that uh, he was the most sampled artist. I went to whosampled.com, and I couldn't find any record of him on the master list. But he was sampled 488 times, which should put him around 58, 59 on the most sampled of all time currently. But what I did find out, and this is mind-blowing, as of now, the number 11 most sampled musician of all time, none other than Bob James. Mm-hmm. Ain't that some shit? Well, <clears throat> all right. So this is really great plot, Rock. It gets to the heart of the character. Actually, no, it stops at the skin. <laughs> so I'd say this is a controversial pick, as he might have a superior choice in Dee Dee Bridgewater's Coffee Baby, which arguably dives a little deeper into the character, um, except the, the color of her skin. If I were named after the color of my skin and my most dominant trait, I would have been known as Pinky and the Brain. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Wasn't there a song? Dominant trait is his brain. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) my my enormous dick. Wasn't there a song called White and Nerdy? Hey, man, you can't talk to my woman like that. Shut up. Shut your ugly, old-time, ancient ass up. If you say one more word to me, I'll help that lady... Take one of her titties and beat the shit out of you. Number eight. They're they're mean to each other in these shows. Uh, well, this oh, is Rudy that Ray was from Petey Wheatstraw, and that was uh, Rudy Ray Moore's uh, stand-up bit in the club. Uh, he opened up against Leroy and Skillet. Uh, you know, we'll get to it. You know, I I, I want to say I watched the way back when when we were talking about Dolomite. I watched, I rewatched that, and my favorite part of that now is he calls people insecure, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find that hilarious. A hilarious yeah. put down to the uh, to the corrupt cops. Yeah, yeah, that's why you're corrupt. You're so insecure. Anyway, uh, we got three the hard way. Chase Ooh. and theme. Ooh, by the impressions. Two for and one. This is a movie you're gonna kind of want to check out. This is the pinnacle of the classic black exploitation action film. It stars the powerhouses of the genre. Former pro football players Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, and the most important man of this or any other genre, Black Belt Jones himself. That's right, Jim Kelly. This is like the first Expendables. Yeah. Where they, yeah. Got, where they got like the three top drawing most famous action stars and put them together. And the plot is fucking amazing. A record producer, an entrepreneur, and a karate master. Walk into a bar? Team up to defeat an evil plan of black genocide by putting a serum in the water supply that only affects the black population. (laughs) And you know how they explain it? By saying it's just like sickle cell. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, The bad guys defeat in an ingenious way that involves three badass dominatrices showing their boobs. Oh, I gotta see that movie. Yeah, at least in the theatrical version. Uh, Sounds terrific, right? Yes. Unfortunately, it's very unevenly paced and comes off as a clunky misfire, which is a shame because this should have been better than any of the movies of the genre. Still worth a watch, but not nearly as good as it should have been. Yeah, it takes about 40 minutes before they introduce all three of the characters. Like they, they have to they give each one like a lot of time until they yeah. finally get to Jim Kelly. It's not strong film structure, guys. Yeah. Get well, it together. Fun fact, they shot an R-rated version for the theaters and a PG version for television. Interestingly enough, the PG version is 12 minutes longer. Why is it because talking about boobs is, takes way longer than showing them? Yeah. You said th- it takes about two minutes to talk about each boob. Mm-hmm. You said three dominatrices? Yeah. 12 minutes. There you go. There's the math. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this movie. I think it's great. Uh, I think um, 
I think you'd like it a little bit more if it was called uh, One the Black Belt Jones Way. Goddamn right. Uh, but but there, there's some great slow-mo in this and a lot of cr- uh, crouch walking and shooting guns. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think this movie should be rebooted right now because the bad guys are basically white nationalists with far too much political power. I would totally power. be up for that reboot. What do you suppose Carl Weathers is up to? Uh, about six feet tall. 180 pounds. <laughs> There's a great scene in this movie where they kill a guy and it's just like uh, a dude laying in a hospital bed and you hear like, beep, beep, beep. This cherry picker basket comes into the window and a guy jumps out of it and shoots the guy and then jumps back at the basket. It's like, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's get to the music. Scripting Jim Brown's uh, character as a record producer was very intentional and it gave them an excuse to put them the actual impressions in the movie. They, I don't know if I said this was by the impressions, but it is. Uh, they play the band that's, uh, that he's producing at the beginning of the movie. And he implies that they're drunks. <laughs> yeah. Because he's in a bad mood. Yeah, the, uh, the impressions were best known as being Curtis Mayfield's uh, first band that recorded this after he left. And people seem to be rather critical of it. I mean, to me, it seems to follow a pretty standard pattern of soundtracks at the time. Just a combination of scoring songs for various scenes with a few tracks that would hopefully be released as singles. Just like most of these movies followed a pretty standard pattern of sweet black dudes going after a white oppressor. Although only Dolomite was clever enough to call the big boss Mr. White. What do these guys call their boss? Um, the big boss, the bad guy, the bad white guy. Oh, um, what's his name? <laughs> Mr. Reynolds, something unclevered? Something that no, wasn't I think a- it was clever. I'll look it up. You yeah. guys keep talking. Uh, anything yeah. else? Uh, I think it was Wayne. Wayne? It's <laughs> a pretty white name. Take care of any trouble. You see, I got a couple of Bogards coming in from Frisco. Bogards? What are Bogards? Treacherous niggas. No. There'll be no trouble. Number seven. He said Frisco! Yeah. That's why Dave says Frisco! Yeah. See, that's Pinky explaining to the Don how he's going to take Papa Bird's karate school away from him. Black Belt Jones is in the way, so he's got a couple Bogarts coming down from Frisco. No, there ain't going to be no trouble. Uh, but you know what? There is going to be trouble. This is Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye. It's a hell of a segue. Yeah! I don't know who did the bumpers this week, but they're genius. Uh, just, so, just so you know, uh, three of the hard way bad guy, Monroe Feather. <laughs> Uh, That's way whiter than Wayne. Probably pronounced it Monroe. Listen to Marvin Gaye in this. Yeah, he's doing he's doing a really good Curtis Mayfield impression. Yeah, he should have been in the impressions, Marvin Gaye, because well, he does good impressions of the guys in the impressions. Well, he's absolutely following in the footsteps of Isaac Hayes. Motown cornerstone Marvin Gaye recorded the soundtrack, including this title track for the movie Trouble Man. Isaac Hayes. I said Curtis Mayfield. And I said Isaac Hayes. What does that have to... Sorry. What just happened? He's following in the footsteps of of Isaac Hayes. Oh, I thought you were trying to do a transition off the guy that you thought I talked about. Okay, keep going, keep going. You got a lot of paragraphs. Here's the the real truth, J.D. Yeah. I fucked up. I know you did. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going. Uh, You wrote more paragraphs than Hollywood Steve in this one. Yeah, but I'm not reading them all. Okay, thank you. Uh... (laughs) This movie's tough to watch. It follows the character Mr. T. Get it? T's for trouble! Around the streets of South L.A., T's a neighborhood tough guy, he's a detective or something. 
Um, yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> reviews. Despite some of the excellent use of Los Angeles locations, Trouble Man is a classic example of what white writers and producers perceive as the black lifestyle. I have a question. Is this where the real life Mr. T got the idea for his nickname? Like I know, I, I know Mr. It. T's last name started with T, so yeah. that could have been in. Yeah. Yeah. But point in favor in 2004, Mr. T did a guest voice on an episode of Johnny Bravo titled. T is for trouble, oh. like you just said. Man. I would imagine the writers on Johnny Bravo knew more about it than this. Was, his universe is a crazy place. His, uh, his no, last name is Tarod. Yeah, it's like yeah. Levon Tarod or something. Steve, I Lawrence. You, I want, Lawrence. I want you to know it was an L word. I want you to notice something just happened. Uh-huh. See, Dave had a big long paragraph to read. I got it in his head, and he edited it right away. Oh, see, so you can't get in my head, bro. I can't get in your head. I can't get in my head. I got it my work game on is strong. No, no, JD, you didn't get in my head. I got in your head. I was reading the room. Yeah, because I got in your head, and you're like, JD got in my head. And What's I'm, the like, room say? I was taking a note. I mean, I'm not affected. Yeah, I put it. the note in your head, and you took it. Steve never takes the note. No, because no. I'm not playing to the room. I'm playing to the people out I think there. You're, no, I think, no, he's, I think, you're playing to yourself. I think Dave is the stronger man. Because oh, of it. man, this song's trouble. Yeah, it's, yeah. Tearing, it's tearing us apart. Uh, so how JD is. <laughs> playing you guys against each other. The soundtrack for this album is fucking excellent. Uh, this was Gay's follow-up to What's Going On, and he'd won complete control from his label. There's great stories about what's going on, how he was like producing things and slipping tracks in behind uh, behind the backs of the uh, higher-ups. And it was an amazing album. So on this one, he was given complete control. He did whatever he wanted. And uh, I think it's... Uh, I don't want to say this, because it might not be right. It may be our highest charting... No, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I'm wrong. Say I'm wrong. It, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Um, Getting in his head. But it was also marked the end of the uh, the Motown of Detroit. Uh, as Hitsville closed, that forced this album to be produced in Hollywood. Uh, Marvin actually remembers it as one of his finest works. He said, I'll probably be dead and gone before I get the acclaim that I feel I should get. What an asshole. Marvin would later be shot four times in the torso by his father in his home at 2101 South Gramercy Place, right here in Los Angeles. Ooh, good location. Yeah. I've been there. Um, I'm sure you have. You know, it's interesting. This album actually opens with Trouble Man theme part two, and then the Trouble Man theme part one is on side B. What? Yeah, this yeah. is 1972. Everyone was on drugs and trying to blow our minds with their weird well, album they, It worked. Yeah. I, my mind just got blown. This song has a great line that I love. Uh... There's only three things I know for sure. Taxes, death, and trouble. Mm-hmm. It's really selling trouble. It's good plot rock. Yeah, he leans heavily on the uh, the T word. Um, so I, I like, there's Frank Zappa elements in this song. Do you guys hear it? I don't know that much about Frank, Frank Zappa, but like when it's going like... Yeah, no, there's like jazzy improv like, yeah. kind of going on. Jazz in. conflict. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, also, it also feels like uh, mid-70s Steely Dan to me. Like you can see how this brand of jazzy soul influenced Don and Walt. Like just, they just white this up like three or four notches, and boom, you got bad sneakers or something like that. <laughs> I hear that more than Zappa. Here's, here's the, the Zappa part. Listen, listen, listen to this jazz listen, conflict. Listen. It swells. Love jazz conflict. This is a Zappa album I always listen to. Oh god! And I forgot what it was called, but it, it had flourishes like that all over it. Mm. Anyway, that was a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all done. Yeah, I think so. Unless you want to forget more Zappa facts. You're supposed to be out front teaching the class. You can handle it, blood. Hey, you haven't taught class in three weeks. He's been too busy gambling and hoe chasing. Who's that, Lucy? What a hoe you see me chasing, woman? That's why you're so 
Another great line from Black Belt Jones. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I really would like to see a film where people are nice to each other. Wouldn't that be a nice movie? Just everybody's nice to each other through the whole movie. And no jazz conflict. No jazz, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no conflict of any yeah. kind. All right. <sighs> here, here we are with number Sad six. Jazz. This is uh, the theme from The Mac by Willie Hutch. I had a real hard time deciding which Willie Hutch song to put on the list. It was between this and Foxy Brown. Well, ultimately, Foxy Brown is the song that coined the term Superbad, which you all remember is a movie. Not a very black movie. No. No. It's basically, uh, Foxy Brown's basically a reworking of coffee, you know, which we already discussed. Plus, the Mac is a very important film of the genre. Um, you said Superbad was not a black movie? The Mac is a black movie. In fact, it's a black exploitation movie. Oh, that's why it's on here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I talked earlier about Sweet Sweetback being a social commentary and that most black exploitation movies weren't so serious. This one was really serious. Um, it was written by a guy in prison, and he wrote it on toilet paper based on a real-life pimp named Frank Ward. They were offered Frank's protection while filming, and he supplied extras, pimps, and women. That's how movies were made in Oakland in 1971 and 72. <laughs> Uh, but the film was being made in Black Panther territory, and the filmmakers also had to strike a deal with the Black Panthers. So, uh, actually, Huey P. Newton himself, or Huey Newton? Huey Newton? Is that who? Yeah, Huey, yes. yeah Huey Newton. Um, Frank was, Frank, the guy that was written about, was eventually found dead in his car during filming, which prompted the film crew to move to a safer location halfway through filming. Uh, strange that it wasn't lighthearted because it co starred <laughs> Richard Pryor. <laughs> Uh, and you know who played Goldie's uh, black nationalist little brother? Richard E. Mosley, TC from Magnum P.I. Oh, oh, he's good. Yeah. He's good. And he drove the world's most awesomely decorated helicopter oh, in TV yeah. history. A brown chopper with orange and yellow stripes. So that's super bad. You know, if we ever have to do a photo shoot for Yacht Rock, we should do it in front of that helicopter. Can, you, can we see it? Do right. you know where it's located? Actually, yeah, I do. Look it up. All right. Um, one of the most famous scenes in this film, Goldie goes to what they call the Player's Ball. Oh, yeah. And he wins Mac of the Year. I mean, you, you guys know it immediately. The scene was one and one half minutes long, but it sucked. It stuck s such a note. I was just going to say, Sorry. To, be, to be fair, it was set up really well because he has a big conflict yeah, with, with the, the big boss. With the, the big boss guy. right before it, so yeah. it, it, it's a, quite the juxtaposition. Mm hmm of two things yeah. of like, danger he's like, hey, and elation. fuck you yeah um, but it's become an actual event where pimps from around the country get together and celebrate themselves pat each other on the asses and crown someone pimp of the year he's the pimp I kind of like year. how every guild academy and other group in Hollywood gives themselves awards every year only with more human trafficking and a whole lot less road closures that's, uh, an, that's an inside Hollywood joke yeah just, just coming off the Oscars yeah. I, I, we, I, here's the thing the, this the movie's a little bit divisive because some people like there's not really a lot of good people in this movie and so some people find it like good fun with lots of quotable lines some people just think it's just boring and not really relatable you can't you don't like the 
the characters anyways. But what, what you can argue is the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. Willie Hutch, he knocks it out of the park. Uh, my personal favorite is I Choose You. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is... Definitely the best. This is the plot rock song of, of the album. But did you know that in 1983, the Mac was re-released to capital, capitalize on Richard P- Pryor's fame, and Willie's music was swapped out for a new Alan Silvestri score. What? Yep. That's nuts. That is crazy. The, the score did is it better sound than anything the movie. like this. It was definitely it was definitely like a derivative, a funky black exploitation. It wasn't exactly like this. But if you heard it, you would be like, "This is a generic." Mm. Wow. 70s black exploitation score. Well, let me talk about Willie Hutch. He was incredibly prolific. He wrote, produced, and eventually recorded for Motown. He wrote songs for Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, The Spinners, The Four Tops, and more. In addition to doing the entire soundtrack for the Mac and Foxy Brown, he also contributed songs to The Last Dragon. He passed away in 2005, but every article I read about him, which was two, <laughs> everybody, two people, just and also his obituary. Uh, just everybody said what a great, generous, wonderful person he was to work with. How he helped artists below him, and well, that was probably a bad way to say it. And he helped him. artists below beneath him. Beneath him. Uh, he just was a very wonderful, kind, generous man. Hey, look how kind, generous I am. You skipped over your best joke. He he started in a doo-wop group, which was kind of old new-wop. Oh damn it! Which is a which is a kind of old new-wop. Yeah, that's a good joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, and he wrote "I'll Be There" for the for the five Jacksons. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good joke too. Oh. Dave, your music is hitting me hard because, you know, I got soul. Right. But I had to prove that I'm still blacker than you, so I'm picking a rap song. A rap song, Dave, Mm -hmm. from one of the most important black films of all time, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. This is Public Enemy with their ode to radical militant activism, Fight the Power. Hmm. Welcome, Dave. (laughs) Thanks for having me. <laughs> so Dave just moved his head like three feet to go into the mic to go. Hmm. <laughs> also fix my glasses. <laughs> uh, so fight the power was Chuck D's attempt to come up with an ultimate anthem, which he did, and to update the sentiments behind the Isley Brothers song of the same name for the modern era of 1989. Uh, there's lots of samples from and lyrical allusions to James Brown's Black Power era, but there's plenty more than that. WhoSampled.com lists like 19 different samples, and that's not counting the saxophone solo by Branford Marsalis. Winston's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Branyard's brother. Fun fact about Branyard Marsalis, when he plays soprano sax, he uses a clarinet reed. You guys, that's fucking crazy. I don't know if I've heard a fact that fun ever. (laughs) Is that why Jay Leno kicked him off The Tonight Show? Probably. You gotta use the right reads, Brandon. Brandon, you gotta use the right reads. You're not using the right reads. You're freaking me out. This is not gonna play in middle America. I want to do my Jay Leno impression, but there's lots of paragraphs to get through. Okay, continue, Steve. I'm not gonna read them all, okay? <laughs> yes. We did it. Oh okay. my god, it only took 59 episodes. 
Do the Right Thing was released in 1989, as they say at the beginning of the song. Uh, offered an unflinching look at long-simmering racial tensions in a Brooklyn neighborhood. Since that time, all of the issues raised in the film have been solved. Yes. Racism is over. Yes. Thanks to white people mm-hmm. deciding not to be racist anymore. That's why since racism is, is since racism is over, we feel comfortable electing a racist like Trump to office because he can't do any damage. Right. Because racism's totally over. Yeah, we deserve a lot of credit. It was very, very nice of us to mm-hmm. stop being racist. Isn't this the part? Don't, don't they? Isn't the opening of the movie uh, Rosie Perez dancing to this song mm-hmm. before it gets into yeah, the song? Yeah, it, it gets inter, it, it's it's uh, interwoven in a few different uh, parts okay. of it. Um, this is not the only version of Fight the Power to appear on a movie soundtrack. There was an unbearably jokey acoustic cover oh, by God. Bare Naked Ladies, which uh, was featured in The Coneheads. Oh, good movie. Oh. <laughs> A lot of covers on that soundtrack. Yeah, in my opinion, the only good Saturday Night Live movie. <laughs> <laughs> it also featured the um, the Red Hot Chili Pepper song "Soul to Squeeze," which is a pretty good song. Yeah, then, yeah. Then you watch a video at some some retro video thing or on YouTube, and you're like, "Oh, this is from the Conehead soundtrack. It's full of Coneheads." <laughs> The video's full of Conan for no reason, with no, with no context. It's, it's insane. Missed a real opportunity there not putting socks over the cone heads like the Chili Peppers used to do with their, with their oh, dicks. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's funny. The, the video had no jokes in it. It, was, yeah. it took place at Only Time Circus. I, speaking of jokes, I went back and reread that paragraph that I skipped over. Yeah. Not only was it packed full of jokes, but somebody edited one of my jokes. My, my joke was supposed to be... Um, he was discovered by Hal What's-His-Name from Motown and ended up writing, You'll Be There for the Five Jacksons. Yeah. And then somebody corrected it to, I'll Be There. Oh, that was me. <laughs> what are you doing? He's a, I didn't recognize it as a joke. <laughs> gotta work out, you gotta make your jokes more recognizable, Dave. You know what no, would have been an interesting joke? I like what you did here, Steve. <laughs> But another way you could have gone with this, since this is a black exploitation show, is find the whitest song you could have found from. I a, did think about from that, a yeah. soundtrack. What what song would that have been, guys? Arthur's theme. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I was sing, I was thinking the Sugar Ross song from uh, uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. <laughs> oh, what I think theme from a summer place by Percy Faith would be um, super white. Maybe the Star Spangled Banner <laughs> from America. Yeah, the experience. Oh, geez. We got a lot of plugs to get through. Hey, <sighs> do we have enough song this this week? Yeah, this is his bed, man. We got four minutes. This uh, is his original bed. I'm done playing I'm it. done playing his music. Yeah, you're not fucking around anymore. Fool me twice. Ocean, Ocean City Defender. Check us out. Dave and I are interviewed on NPR's World Cafe. That'll air on, uh, I believe it's a Wednesday, March 15th. Yep. Listen to the shit out of that. And uh, hopefully a lot more people will listen to our podcast after that. And you'll have new friends. Uh, go to YachtRock.com, t-shirts, other great merch. We're all loaded up in the merch store. We got enough larges and extra larges for everyone. Yeah, picked them up myself. Uh, cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Check out the Captain's blog. See the wonderful, wonderful piece by Erica Slutsky. Slutsky. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. Boy, poor Erica in elementary school. Yeah. I'm sorry. But she's a fantastic writer, and, and she wrote a thing about how... Pharrell, Pharrell Williams is super influenced by Yacht Rock. Is that true? I'm going to have to go to the captain's blog to find out. You have to read yeah, it. She, she and makes I, a compelling argument. I, I advise all of you at home to do the same. 
Um, this weekend, if you're in LA, you get to see us, mo hopefully, appear at the really fun Yacht Rock Reviews Sunset Strip concert at the Roxy. And I say hopefully because there's, we're, we're having a battle with them. Uh -huh. We're yeah. hoping to battle it out that night. Yeah. Yeah. We may do some live yachting yachts. Yeah. Yeah. I might bring a switchblade. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there it is. Keep an eye out on Netflix for a show called Buddy Thunderstruck. It's a really sweet looking stop motion animation uh, cartoon about animals who race trucks. And I'm in it. Oh. I play wow. a, a chicken announcer named Nick the New Guy. I watched some of it. Uh, and I, I kind of use uh, Huel Hauser's voice. Give us, uh, give us a taste. Uh, hey, race fans, it's me, Nick the New Guy, coming at you loud and strong. Well, look at there, buddy, go. There oh, we that's go. pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that's um, a pretty good JD impression. All right, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm returning on a podcast called One Bourbon, One Shard, or One Beer, dropping on March 11th. Uh, hear me and some dudes talk about what drinks you'd pair with new edition songs. All right, here we go. Patreon nicknames. Okay. I'll just go through all these. Okay. Is that all right, everybody? Yeah, Fine do with me. If you want to jump in, go go for it. Just, just go. Cut me off. Pete! <laughs> Pete, I'll be fisherman. Fishman. Pete, I'll be fishman. Gareth, I'll be out in a minute. Smith. <laughs> Julian, two butts McCullough. Eli, the old timey weightlifter. Lake. Shamilgus Shadingus. I don't. That's all. The only name I got was Shamilgus. So that's all I had to I go on. I believe it's Amy. She wrote something for the captain's blog once. And so her last name is Shamilgus. Yes. Amy Shadingus Shamilgus. Uh, Keith, the darker the berry. Very good. Yeah. Uh, JD Fromage de Toilette, the <laughs> France. That's a good one. And Marcus Frozen Broccoli Flores. <laughs> I'm yeah. into it. Yeah. All good. Thanks for giving uh, a little something, something to our Patreon, everybody. Yeah, thank you, everybody. To help us pay our taxes. <laughs> and our license fee. Like a good Hear that cowboy? clunk rock. Wait, yeah. who did those bumpers? I don't know. They're. Are we gonna talk oh, about the? Yeah. <laughs> the only time uh, Dave we'll, doesn't. We'll find out at the end. I'm sure. I'm sure it's some. Wait, hold some, on a second. Hold on. Some second. anonymous genius. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, Dave Lyons did the bumper oh, today. Oh, hey. hey. Underscore B With underscore a, Lyons. Uh, check out his band Karate the Band. Uh, do they have a website? Uh, there's uh, a Facebook who knows? page. On Bandcamp? Uh, there's, a, there's a big old show coming up, uh, April 7th. Oh, shit, I didn't know this would turn into a real plug. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can skip it. Okay. And we're back. Hey, Clunk Rock! Yeah, listen to that. This is Slaughter Theme by James Brown from the movie Slaughter's Big Ripoff. Ooh, my part two bit starts in this. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, this is a good bit. We've been waiting for um, it. Professional football player Jim Brown returns to the big screen, reprising his role Slaughter, a Green Beret turned mercenary after avenging the death of his parents by taking out Rip Torn and his super crime computer in some <laughs> mysterious unnamed South American country that IMDb calls Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> What's next for Slaughter? More ass-kicking action. This time, the bad guy is played by <gasps> Ed McMahon. And Slaughter ain't taking no shit. Let's just say there's a lot of people that die from from some of Slaughter's patented lethal karate sidekicks in this one. The perfect metaphor for trying to take out Ed McMahon. Wait, hold on, hold on a second. Pause. Wait. 
You say Ed McMahon? Yeah, and they took him out with karate sidekicks. He's an actor in this movie, Ed McMahon. Not only is he an actor, he is the bad guy in this movie. Sidekicks? Like, Like, I got it. I got it with the kicks from the side, and they're kicking the side. Oh, he's coming on my side. Oh, God. That's a good plot, Rock. That is good plot, Rock. Quincy, take over. Good luck topping that fun fact. Yep. Oh, James Brown. We haven't talked about James Brown on the podcast before. Briefly. Uh, I, I mean, I we, feel we like talked about his fault. We talked about his feud with Joe yeah, Tex. That was a, yeah, I apologize for that. Uh, but but we, on the bright side, Jim Brown and James Brown together at last yeah. on, this, on this number. Yeah, but holy shit, man. What can you say? He's the godfather of soul. One of the biggest influences of music, and he was doing this soundtrack. He was releasing two albums a year at this point, and they were all good. This is one artist I deeply regret never seeing in concert. Yeah. Okay. I saw James Brown in concert in Flint. Wow. And oh. what's more, I went backstage and met him. Uh, I had one James Brown CD at the time. It was a compilation called Foundations of Funk, which covered the years 1964 to 69. It was a two-disc set with an uh, extensive booklet, so I asked Mr. Brown if he would sign it, and he said yes, and he started flipping through the pictures, and he proceeded to get nostalgic and tell me the stories betwi- behind everything. Oh. Uh, I could barely understand him. He was just mostly going, oh, man, look at this. It's Mazio, and, and he was going through everyone. And I was like, I was just standing there like, wow, that's awesome, and it was awesome. Uh, that would have been the greatest moment of my life. Eventually, his manager grabbed him, and uh, and he was like, sorry, Mr. Brown has a uh, bus to catch to his next stop. Uh, <laughs> I gotta drop him off at the Greyhound station, man. And uh, and uh, James said goodbye. Goodbye. He said sorry. Oh, this is great to meet you. And then he, and he left, and he was lovely. Yeah. That was that was probably my greatest celebrity moment ever. <laughs> hey, I gotta get him out of here. He's gotta catch a bus. <laughs> hey, well, wait, hold it on. was his bus. I'm still thinking about this. So you mean you're telling me Ed McMahon plays the the bad guy in an actual movie? Yeah. The bad guy. Mm-hmm. Did Johnny Carson have to play a badder guy so he could just agree with everything Johnny said through yes. the whole movie? No. Johnny uh Johnny just let him have this one. Oh, what a guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, Did you know, he drink I about, it at all? I thought about putting uh, the boss from Black Caesar on here instead. It was ultimately a more influential song, certainly more well known. But damn it, I just like this one better. Well, and this one's better plot rock. Yeah, it's far better it plot rock. It is. Which I'm assuming that would made made a big decision in all of these songs. No, it really did. It. Yeah. it really did. I, I buy it. Uh, although overall, Black Caesar, uh, oh, 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 James Brown has song credits in over 350 projects, film projects, most notably Rocky Four. Yes. And yeah. 1965 Ski School. <laughs> Yes. Only he ever he only ever did two entire soundtrack albums, and that's a shame because I think they're both pretty great. Ski School. <laughs> there's, oh, a, no. there's a there's a movie called Wait. Ski School in 1965. Hey, Jumping the mogul. Ow. Ski bunny. Hey. Warm lodge. Getting down now. Snow Lodge. I think James Brown's boring. Look out for the... You get the fuck out of my house, Whitey. <laughs> did I? Really? You think he's boring? Yeah, because I was. You should have met him. He's, I don't, he's I just I don't, fantastic. I just did exactly what he did. I, I, don't, I just did it perfectly. I don't think he's me. boring. But that was a bad like that was a bad imitation. You did an imitation of a Jay, bad imitation. Yeah, 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 you're not a band on. leader either. That was better than your Q impersonation, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> um, I I do think he's I he's that. like at least for what he's known for, like uh, you know by 
me. Uh, it's kind of one note, but I fucking dig it. I dig everything he does, and I like punk rock, so I'm okay with one note. Hey, did you still know- get the fuck out of my house? Did you this know is I- not this is not your no? It's not one note. Did you know that Ed McMahon was a sidekick on a talk show? Yeah, Elf's talk show in 2004. How's that for a fun fucking fact? You pieces of shit. Oh, another classic line from Black Belt Jones. These are such good bumpers. Ah, all right. This is uh, Young Blood, the movie Young Blood. Young Blood. Yeah. That one? Get out of my mind. Yeah. By the band War. Oh. Uh, this is the only movie on the list I haven't seen. In fact, I hadn't even heard of it until I started digging into the genre, which tells me it isn't one of the best films out there, but I'm ranking them by song, not entertainment value. If that was the case, this entire list would be Rudy Ray Moore movies. And Black Belt Jones. Did, did you for, know- me, for me, the whole list would be Ed McMahon facts. Uh-huh. Because I, I've been on his Wikipedia since I've learned this mm-hmm. about him, and he wanted to be a fighter pilot in World War II, but get this, he had to finish two years of college first. That was uh-huh. the, the, the requirement. He was too much of a young blood. Yeah, he was too much of a... So he did that, and then he did his flight training, and then he had to be a flight instructor for two years, and then he got his assignment, and Boom! Hiroshima and Nagasaki got bombed, and Uncle Sam didn't need old Ed McMahon no more. Sorry, Dave. Plot of Youngblood. No, no, that's way better than the plot of Youngblood. <laughs> uh, the main character, Michael, joins a street gang. They nickname him Youngblood. Street gang turns to be turns out to be battling each other. But then they take on a drug cartel, and what I can only imagine is a pretty boring turn of events. Youngblood's very own brother is the head of the cartel. And based on what I know of what I remember of my childhood from Youngblood, I think there was also a lot of hockey yeah, game play. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. Does Youngblood's brother, is, is there like a scene where he's like, my love for you is way out of line, I gotta shoot you now, Youngblood? Mm, no, but I'm pretty sure they banged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and Dave, I think we should mention that this stars Freddie Boom Boom Washington. Yeah. Uh, A.K.A. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. And for those of you listening at home, Freddie Boom Boom Washington was the name of my best friend's goldfish in college and the name of uh, the dude on Welcome Back, Cutter. It's true. Uh, I don't know if they... I can't remember if they mentioned that in the song, though, that Freddie Boom Boom Washington was in this movie. Well, the song, of course, is by War. It's got those funky bongos right off the top, and it just sucks you right in. And then that wah-wah guitar gets you grooving. This was my favorite discovery on the list, but then again, it was my only discovery since I knew all the others. Uh, so it's at this point, I'm not so sure this is a plot rock episode as much as it's actually just a black exploitation song that Dave really <laughs> likes. Uh, because what the hell are we learning from this song? Uh, does Boom Boom say, uh, uh, a lot He's or something like, in this blood. movie? Young blood. <laughs> does, does he perhaps, uh, does he play a brass instrument? No, does he at least get kicked out of school? Because that's one of the few lines that they actually say in this movie. Yeah, he gets kicked out of song. school. He finds the kids does on he? the street. And, I mean, you gotta read between the lines, man. I'm not gonna fucking draw you a map. This is, this is, this is, this is... You know, a suggestion. Hey, why don't you guys do a little bit more research than I did? Oh, okay. I'm just uh, introducing you to something wonderful, and you can have your own way with it. Uh, I, I think somebody said uh, yeah, a lot yeah, in there. Yeah. Maybe, you know what? I bet he went to the doctor. Well, I think when you watch the movie, you yawn, you yawn a lot. Yeah. <sighs> no, the, he went to the doctor for a sore throat. Oh. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about war on the podcast before, but 
I don't really, re I don't mind uh, repeating what I said before. Uh, especially a little war called World War II, a war that unfortunately ended too soon to include the pilot skills of one Ed McMahon. Uh, well, now he's fighting the Japs in heaven. <laughs> Here's a fun fact from the past. Every original member of War left the band except for Leroy Lonnie Johnson, who still tours with some of the other guys under the name War. Four of the members left War and got together to form a group called the Lowrider Band and play songs by War. Uh, speaking of leaving, it's and like a war war between those two factions. Um, Sorry. It's okay. It's cool. Because speaking of leaving and coming back, did I tell you that Ed McMahon, after leaving The Tonight Show, was came back and was Elf's sidekick on Elf's 2004 TV Land talk show? Do you remember? Did no, I you, tell you guys that already? You did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you, did. you, did. you didn't you go into that it. much detail. but you, you insulted us as soon as you told us that, though. Yeah. Oh. Well, we like, like we didn't know it already. Do you remember his uh, role on Larry Sanders as uh, Hank's friend? Ed McMahon played Hank's friend, playing mm -hmm. himself. Such great casting. So he's a national treasure. Yeah. R.I.P. Man, move over and let me pass. Food have to be pulling these hush puppies out your motherfucking ass. Number three. All right, wait. Important question right off the top. Mm -hmm. Not an Ed McMahon bit. <laughs> we may have discussed this before, but is it Jews harp or juice harp? Now, personally, I like Jews harp because the sound it makes has absolutely nothing to do with Jewish or Hebrew 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 culture or tradition. So I prefer that name because it's kind of ironic. I've only, the only alternate one has been jaw harp. I've, jaw harp. Oh yeah, jaw harp. Yeah. I've never heard anyone actually say juice harp. Yeah, I've only or, ever heard yeah. juice I, harp. I've I've. It has nothing to do with Juice. I listened to Juice Newton's entire catalog, <laughs> and I remember very little to none of this magical instrument. I've never looked up why it's called a Juice harp, but I assume it's some old-timey slur that's lost to... I don't think it's a slur. Oh, I think it not? just. It, I think it just sounded like it, they were saying Jews, like it was like... Oh, Jews, 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 Yeah, like I thought, I thought the movie about the shark was called Jews up until I was 16. What? The shark movie, Jews. Oh. It's, it's like a... Never mind. I got it. <laughs> All right. Willie D. Uh, Martha Hutch from the movie Willie Dynamite. Willie Dynamite's different from most exploitation movies in two major ways. Doesn't glorify the negative criminal lifestyle. And it stars Gordon from Sesame Street. Ooh. Yeah. Good actor. While it does show that Pippin ain't easy, it's because of the moral conflict within the main character. You still have the ridiculous costumes and the white cop coming down on the black man, but it's more of a story about getting out of the criminal life. Willie D's a pimp that's trying to be the king of New York City. There's a social worker who's a former prostitute trying to get him and his girls off the street. Movie's slow-paced, all the girls get arrested, and in the end, Willie walks away from his pimp car being towed, telling a kid that he's no longer in the game and it's not his car. He's inferring that he's leaving the whole world behind. He walks down the street happy for the first time, and I'm assuming all of his girls die in prison. Can I say something about women real quick? Yeah. Yeah, women, women they're like butterflies. You know, they're like, they're unique, and mm -hmm. they're beautiful, and they should never be locked up or forced into sex work against their wills. And hey, speaking of butterflies, did you know that even after almost 30 years on The Tonight Show, Ed McMahon told an interviewer he still gets butterflies in the stomach? And that means nervous. He, gets ner he got nervous before announcing Johnny Carson. That's something to think about when you watch those old clips. And he still went there and was a pro every night except the one clip where he was drunk. <laughs> and he still pulled it off. He likes a party. Yeah. 
Hero the, theme, the theme song, on the other hand, is real dynamite. I guess that would have made sense. Had, well, he had to get his... I had to get my McMahon bit in, No, so. no, no, I know. I'm just um, kind of thinking maybe I should have gone back and, uh, you know, proofread. Well, <laughs> but Dave, here. introduce this singer, and I'll oh, help yeah. you proofread. Well... Her name's Martha Reeves, and she you fucking brings You introduced her as, as, Martha, Martha, as Martha Hutch. Hutch. Yeah. What, because no. you saw the word Willie in Willie D, and you got her confused with Willie Hutch, and you wrote Martha Hutch. I was going to let it go, but... Did I say I, Martha But Hutch? I also knew you Steve said Martha would be Hutch. There. Yes. Yeah, you did, you did. You it's knew a, I was going to jump on this. I did. I am amazed. I let it go for a little I'm while. I'm amazed. God, that must have been eating you up Oh, inside. God, it was fucking <laughs> torture, Dave. Wow. You know, I'm going to start just doing things wrong in these things. Just I to... thought that's what you wait, were wait, doing. Hey, guys, he's going to start doing things wrong. <laughs> he's going to do things wrong on purpose to, I mean, to troll me. I mean, I'm going to keep doing things wrong just to, to continue to... Good on you for not not ca- not calling it on, on it, like, on the page or mm. fixing it and letting him make the mistakes so then you can I, do I, it. I pretty wrong. much just gave up correcting everything in here. <laughs> well, no, I I mean, everybody knows Martha Reeves. Martha Reeves and the, what is it? Everybody knows her last name is not Hutch. <laughs> okay, let's talk everybody. about this song. This is good plot rock, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Of all the songs, of all the songs in this show, this is the one I wish most was written about yeah. me in my life. I, I know how many women Willie D has. Mm-hmm. I know how he treats them. Mm-hmm. I know his aspirations and his acumen. A woman for every man. I, I walk into this movie going, "Okay, I get this guy. Now tell me the rest of the story. Now tell me about Martha Reeves." Yeah, Martha Reeves, of course, is from Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Jimmy Mack, Heat Wave, Dancing in the Streets, and of course their most important song, Nowhere to Run. The song clearly being their most important, as it was used in the movie The Warriors. Incredible hit, string of hits. What a great yep. bunch of songs. I uh, love Martha Reeves yep. and the Vandellas. Bad ass, or super bad, if you will. Martha left the Vandellas in 1972 to pursue a solo career. This was her first release coming out in 1973. Her first solo album wouldn't come out until a year later. This was this was just her doing songs on the soundtrack. She's back with the Vandellas, doing uh, House of Blues in New York City, March 18th. Oh, check her out. Got a Martha Reeves fun fact. She was a Detroit City Councilwoman from 2005 to 2009. <laughs> I, I have a uh, I have a, a fun fact about this movie. Mm-hmm. It wins today's award for best costumes. Yeah, because the outfits in the car and the car for the the car the, and yeah. really not I think just the Snoop Dogg owns that car. Now. Uh, they are the pimpest things you'll ever see. Like, they spare no expense yeah. on those outfits. If you're trying to fly under the radar, <laughs> this isn't uh, this isn't the wardrobe or the automobile for you. Oh, man, it's so good. Oh. Uh, I looked up a few fun facts about this soundtrack's composer, J.J. Johnson. J.J. Oh, yeah. Hutch. Hutch. J.J. Hutch. No, no, no. J.J. Uh, Hutch was a jazz trombonist. <laughs> Who started his career during the bebop era, and during the 30s he, tam- he teamed up with another trombonist who'd also mastered the complexities of bebop. His name was Kai Winding. Winding. I looked up this pronunciation. Uh, the two of them for- formed the J and Kai Quintet together, even though it looks like it's written J and K. And Kai Winding is the father of Yacht Rock Session keyboardist Jai Winding. It's Wait, Jai, you, huh? looked, you look, how were you able to find the pronunciation? Uh, because jazz, I found this forum page oh, where jazz, jazz people jazz people were, were saying, I met sorry. Kai Winding, he pronounced it Kai Winding. I'm sorry. The name is Danish in order. So maybe in Denmark it's pronounced Winding? 
I'm sure it could it be. Do you know it's Jai? Wait, did you look up Jai? Is it Jai? I'm assuming that Kai, because Jai is spelled exactly like Kai, J-A-I-K-A, mm-hmm. I'm assuming his dad named him the same pronunciation, just one letter different. You gotta ask more jazz people. Yeah. They're very specific. They, very oh accurate. my god, are they specific, those jazz people. Yeah. J.J. Uh, Johnson also scored the black exploitation films across 110th Street and Cleopatra Jones, plus the TV shows Starsky and Hutch, Mike Hammer, and The Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, he's good. He's very good. Thank you. Ma, 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 what an ace. Always like women with big A's. Some ass is for need, but this ass is for I see we have another comedian in the house. Don't heckle. God. This is where Dave's humor comes from. This is Petey Weedstraw, Devil's Son-in-Law. Oh, this is my second favorite film of the Rudy Moore anthology, or what many refer to as God's Library. <laughs> many. And honestly, I kind of go back and forth between this and Dolomite. It's tough. Kind of kind of like what I assume picking your favorite kid might be, but but I know people with kids, and I know which ones they what, what about What about Disco Godfather? Put put some weight on it. Put your put some weight on it. Put your weight on put, it. I'm put sorry. Put your weight on it. Sorry. Put your weight on it. Wait, I'm Dave, sorry, Dave. I I know what you mean about tough choices. Um, like 100. Now that I know that Ed McMahon is an actor as well as as like, uh, do like, do I like Ed McMahon the serious actor more than Ed McMahon the TV personality? How do I choose? You it's, know? it's tough, man. Uh, uh, Solomon's choice. I, I think know. is what everybody calls it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> This this movie is a platform for Moore's nightclub comedy act, and boy, oh boy, does it deliver. It begins with him being born as an afterbirth to a watermelon, and he comes out as a diapered six-year-old. Oh, it would be the most racist thing if it wasn't made by Rudy Ray Moore. He attacks the doctor for slapping him, then assaults his father as he's one of the... He's the guy that's been poking him every night. That's, that's, that's the best joke about him. Mama calls him Petey Wheatstraw, and he goes off to learn karate. Are you hooked yet? Depends. Who does Ed McMahon play? Well, if you're referring to heartstrings, it's everyone. Yes. Petey grows up to be a successful nightclub comic, as we heard in the, that genius bumper, and is going to perform in L.A. Meanwhile, rival comedians Leroy and Skillet have borrowed a large <laughs> amount of money from the mob to open their own comedy nightclub and can't compete with old Petey. I mean, who could? After they threaten him and send local hitman Scarface Willie to rough up his partner, things go wrong and they kill his partner's kid brother. At the funeral, Scarface Willie guns down the entire funeral possession, including Petey. As they lay there dead, the devil approaches Petey. Says that if he marries the devil's daughter, Petey can have his life back. Petey says no because the devil's daughter is ugly enough to break daylight with her head. (laughs) But then he reconsiders. He returns with all the powers of the devil because of a magic pimp cane that the devil gave him, and hilarity ensues. Have you seen the movie? Because you basically said the lyrics of this song. Yeah. This song is strong, strong plot rock. I'm listening to it. I'm like, hey, old plot rock. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is <laughs> this is what this is where. Yes. This is one of my. Fa- <laughs> this is where uh, Dave's favorite songs actually accidentally <laughs> converge with strong plot rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, uh, I did a little research on the name Petey Wheatstraw because it rang a bell with me. There was an oldie-timey blues musician who went by that name, Petey Wheatstraw. Yeah, like 1920s blues. Yeah, yeah, like re- yeah, really oldie-timey. He also billed himself as the devil's son-in-law, as well as the high sheriff from hell. Uh, his real name was William Bunch. There's some debate as to whether he came up with the name or whether he took it from some like old folktale. And Ralph Ellison also borrowed the Petey Wheatstraw name from that blues musician for a character in the classic novel Invisible Man. Uh, when you watch... A lot of history here. Let's, let's get back to the plot. <laughs> a little less rock, a little more plot. You'll notice in the movie, Rudy Ray's karate isn't quite as good as Jim Kelly's. <laughs> It, it kind of. I, I want to say, but by Disco Godfather, they actually got a stuntman. <laughs> but not this one. It 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 kind of looks more like a fat guy having a slow seizure. <laughs> but what more lacks in kung fu, more than makes up for in filmmaking. This movie is a must see, a classic of the modern cinema, and I'd like to invite any of you to come over to my house and watch it with me. You're talking to just the three of us, or everybody listening? I am talking to just the three of you. I have my walls painted. I trust you guys not to put handprints on them. And, in conclusion, the song is by Nat Dove and the, the, the Devils. Which is fake. Number one. Oh, this is it. Oh my god, you guys! You can't wait for the number one song! Remember how excited we get when number one songs come up? Oh, yeah! Yeah! Wow! This Everyone is, guess this one. This is the best black exploitation soundtrack of all time. It's one of the few instances of a soundtrack outgrossing the film. Oh man! And it makes perfect sense because while the movie's tolerable, the soundtrack is unbelievably great. Rolling Stone put it at number six on the best soundtracks of all time. We all know what a sterling reputation they have for picking good things and putting them into lists. <laughs> It does help if you hire a genius to do the soundtrack to your tolerable film. Um, Ed McMahon was ranked a number one late night TV sidekick on a list of five compiled by Thomas Tennant at About.com Entertainment. I would imagine he won that award multiple years. It's just in, of all time. Of all fucking time. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. Yes, you are correct. Superfly is the story of a cocaine dealer that wants to go straight. He does it by selling enough coke to walk away. That's how you stop selling coke. You just sell all of it. Oh, that's how I'm going to stop drinking. There that's you a good go. plan. I'll help you. The movie came under heavy criticism because of all the drug use. Ron O'Neill, who played the lead, <coughs> insisted the movie isn't really about drugs. In fact, he pulled a total Trump and stated that Superfly is the greatest anti-drug film ever. That's kind of like when I worked on a documentary about EDM music and everyone insisted it was about the love. Yeah, that's that's why people are there. Yeah, uh, I've seen two, obviously. I've seen two of the movies that you've talked about today. I saw Dolomite, which I saw once in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Were you with me? No, I didn't know you at the time. I was a 16-year-old boy. Uh, and then I saw Superfly, which I watched a lot. But I bet I'll, I'll watch a couple more, starting with Slaughter's Big Ripoff. Uh, and all the, I'll watch all the great acting done by old Ed McMahon because he is yeah before you never get, a missed up with that guy no before you get into the rock I just want to say that the uh, Ron O'Neill had a really good look mm-hmm. you know he, yeah but he yeah was, uh, people liked him because uh, in the movie he looked white well I liked his 
I liked his mustache and his, his uh, chops. Yeah, his hair, too. Uh, he was a classically trained actor and never really exploded as a huge star, which is a shame because he's fucking awesome. Um, my guess that the reason I didn't explode is because anytime anyone saw him in a movie, they say, Hey, it's Superfly! Mm-hmm. Uh, which sucks because he's more than that. But he did get at least one sequel out of this, like most of the other movies in this. Um... Uh, not, uh, did any of them? Well, this is another. This is another question for another one. Did anyone make it to three sequ- a third sequel? Uh, we'll uh, talk about that later. I think Blackula did. Blackula did. Um, but the sequel's called Superfly TNT, which he wrote, starred, and directed in. Uh, so he at least pulled three paychecks on that one. Well, there was Superfly, Return of Superfly, and then. There, I think there were three Superflies, but one of them came out in the 90s, but it didn't star him. It uh, started another person. Like Richard Roundtree or Shaft, something? Shaft, absolutely. Oh, Shaft. No, it was Shaft. But that Shaft was, had three. But that was a remake, a reboot, oh, with know. Samuel but, L. No, Jackson. No, it was Shaft, uh, something else Shaft, Shaft, Shaft in Africa. Score. Oh, and then Shaft in Africa. Shaft big. Blackula may have only had two. Fun fact. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. This is a discussion for another time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Curtis Mayfield's something special. I originally had Pusher Man on this list along with Car Wash and Across 110th Street before this specific song made me realize that I could do a list that's entirely character driven. As we said before, he was in the impressions, but much more celebratory, much more celebrated by what he did as a solo artist. I'll tell you one thing he never did as a solo artist was appear next to Ed McMahon on Carson. We need to remedy that as soon as possible. How do we do that? Um, Contact God. Okay. Or... Weeks, Go, uh, uh, yeah. head, head over to the go. cemetery with a few <laughs> shovels. <laughs> or is that? I got I got access to the old Carson stages right now. It's for my office. He's buried at the Carson stages. No, Probably. but we can we can bring them in there. We can let's just oh. let's just say we can reunite everybody. Uh. Weekend at Johnny's. Uh, during my research, I found out that Curtis Mayfield had something in common with a guitar player, singer, guitar player slash singer <laughs> from Steelheart. That's right, they were both crushed by stage equipment during a live show. The guy from Steelheart recovered, but Curtis Mayfield was paralyzed from the neck down. He still continued to record, almost up until his death, of type 2 diabetes and complications of being crushed by a lighting rig in 1999. Ah, see that accident happened in 1990. Which one? When it fell on on Curtis Mayfield. And 91 for Steelheart, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and coincidentally... That was around two years before Ed McMahon ended his run on The Tonight Show. And get this. This is weird. In 2007, Ed fell down and broke his neck. And get this, too. Ed died. This is a blow your mind. He died in 2009, just several months and days from the exact 10-year anniversary of Curtis Mayfield's death. Wow. Yeah. That, is, that is eerie. Yeah. Man. Little, that is eerier than Blackula. A uh, uh, little, uh, little, little bit much to be a coincidence. Yeah, I know. I know. Holy shit. Um, well, hey, fellas, what didn't make the list? Well, I'll tell you what. There's a movie that's not quite a black exploitation movie called Full Moon High from 1981. It stars Adam Arkin as a teen wolf. There's a song on the soundtrack called Full Moon Anthem that I can't find anywhere online, so I've never actually heard it. I don't even know if it has words or not, but if it did, the lyrics would probably be, uh, Ed McMahon plays the dad in this movie. Ed McMahon plays Adam Arkin's dad. Which is weird because Adam Arkin's actual dad, Alan, is in the movie, but he didn't play Adam's dad. Ed McMahon! Yeah! I was so excited. I was sending you Ed McMahon facts all day today. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> Ask him his dream. 
Uh, Steve, it's your turn to talk. I'm going to go with Pootie Tang. Sign your pity on the runny kind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hunter, what do you got? Okay, I really like the movie... Uh, Truck Turner, mm-hmm. uh, starring Isaac Hayes, who plays Mac Truck Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also features the title track, Truck Turner, by Isaac Hayes, which has an amazing wah guitar or bass. I'm not sure which one it is, but you know when you hear it. And it's incredible plot rock. Uh, Sad didn't make it. And if you know, and you know what? The theme from Cleopatra Jones by mm-hmm. Joe Simon is awesome. It really is. Um, also, I okay, three movies, Shaft... Shaft's big score and Shaft in Africa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's that. We know there's at least that one. Yeah. Um, all right. Next week, we're uh, Southern Yacht. I, I sent you guys the list like two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying. On our break? <laughs> uh, we're going to do Dave, Southern Yacht. we're not on break Has anymore. no one listened That's to ridiculous. it That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. We've all been very busy at work, but we're going to get... We're gonna it's just... music. It's fun to listen to music. No, but when we do... Yeah, think about it. We're doing anyway. Southern Yacht. I can justify Southern, it. Southern Yacht. Yep. It's going to be good. Uh, Dave, do you want to read the credits today? Yeah. Find this week's Blaxploitation Blaxplanations playlist by following J.D. Risner on Spotify. And if I may say so, you're going to want to play this one with the windows down. Why? Because in a safe neighborhood. They farted? Go to yardrock.com to buy t-shirts, read the captain's blog, and see show tunes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter. Show tunes? You're fired. Show tunes? You're fired. Find the show tunes. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Sing them like show tunes. Follow David, David B. Lyons. I'm not going to send them to your right Twitter. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Follow Martha Hutch at Martha Hutch. <laughs> like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on iTunes. Please, you sons of guns. Your reviews help us pick up heat. Take the time today to write a review. Uh, thanks to Dave Lyons for sending in the bumpers. Show uh, tunes! <laughs> additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Uh, recorded today by our friend Matt Brousseau. Thank you to Dustin, Jason, Noah, Kristen, the entire Feral Audio family. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. Mm-hmm.